Hi, I'm Bob Eckblad. Welcome to my podcast, Disciple. Word, Spirit, Justice, Witness. I've been meditating recently on Ezekiel chapter 16, and I've been really struck by how relevant it is to our times right now. And I'm, I want to do a two-part series on this, perhaps more. But um, the first section that we're going to be looking at is, is just the first part of Ezekiel 16, where God is um, addressing Jerusalem. And I'm reading this inspired by a chapter from a book by Daniel Bourget called The Tenderness of God. This is a book that I highly recommend, and I'm going to be quoting from it some in my podcast right now. But let's begin with uh, the beginning of, of this chapter. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations. And say, Thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, Your origin and your birth are from the land of the Canaanite. Your father was an Amorite, and your mother a Hittite. So just um, by way of introduction, here we have um, Ezekiel the prophet being identified as son of man, which is the term son of Adam, literally, so it's like human one. So this um, is like a placeholder for any of us who could carry on a, a function, like a prophetic function, speaking on behalf of God. But here Ezekiel is being given this task of making known to Jerusalem her abominations. Now, why would this concern us if it's addressing Jerusalem? Well, based on what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 6, 16, where he says that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, and the fact that the temple was situated, you know, was in Jerusalem, we can say that as followers of Jesus anyway, through faith, um, and based on this understanding that we're temples of the Holy Spirit, that Jerusalem is anywhere where we are. Okay, but Jerusalem is also the the center of God's people, Israel. You know, it's it's so this is representing the people of God par excellence. And so anyway, um, Son of Man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations. So make known to the United States her abominations, or make known to Skagit County her abominations. Thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem. And remember, then this is speaking to uh, wherever the people of God are located. So here, God is speaking to Jerusalem. Your origin and your birth are from the land of the Canaanite. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. So here, God isn't referencing um, God's people as linked in with, with Abraham and the call of Abraham, but is addressing Israel, I mean, um, through, by way of Jerusalem, and, and really um, emphasizing her paternity and maternity as coming from pagan, a pagan background. And I think this is really important because God is not elevating the DNA of God's people. Um, rather, God is situating God's people in within the nations, within the non-Jewish nations. And of course, Abraham was called from Ur of the, Chald of the Chaldeans, so, you know, south of contemporary Baghdad. And, you know, God's people, the chosen people, came not from any particular uh, purified race or ethnicity, but were called out of the nations to become, um, you know, a, a people that with this promise that they would, through through the descendants of Abraham, all the families of the earth would be blessed. But anyway, here God is addressing um, kind of the people of God 
despite whatever ethnicity they're, they're from, we're coming from. So anyway, let's go on. Verse 4. As for your birth, on the day that you were born, your umbilical cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water for cleansing. You were not rubbed with salt or even wrapped in cloths. No eye looked with pity on you to do any of these things for you, to have compassion on you. Rather, you were thrown into the open field, for you were abhorred on the day that you were born. So here um, we're being given an image of of Israel as a, a little girl, a little baby girl who's been thrown out um, on the moment, on the day of, of her birth, um, into the field, still attached to the placenta, and um, not cared for. No tenderness uh, was really given towards this little one. And um, being rubbed with salt, we're not sure what that refers to, but it, it might have been a practice to protect the child from demons. Uh, but clearly it would have it would have kept the, you know, sanitized the baby, right? Because salt has that function. So anyway, uh, this is a child just thrown out there. Um, no, I looked with compassion on you to do any of these things for you, to have compassion on you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field for you were abhorred on the day of your that you were born. We talk a lot in our Certificate in Transformational Ministry at the Margins about mother wounds and father wounds as well. But here, um, Israel is being addressed, you know, based, like really highlighting the mother wounds. And, you know, a lot of us maybe are aware of some of the attachment theory and how there's many different attachment styles from secure attachment, you know, where um, parents were connecting and attuning to the child's emotions and physical needs which would help that child build meaningful and loving relationships that would where they could show empathy and trust. Then there's avoidant attachment, which is um, where the parents would have been unavailable or even rejecting for long periods of time. And that would result in a child, adult, avoiding closeness or emotional connection, maybe being distant, rigid, critical, intolerant of others. There's the ambivalent attachment style, which uh, where the parental style would have been inconsistent and sometimes intrusive parental communication, resulting in an adult who would be anxious, insecure, unpredictable, erratic, um, wants intimacy but pushes people away. And then uh, the disorganized attachment style, where um, the child would have been ignored or was not able to see um, or meet the child's needs. The parent uh, would, you know, was, so in a way, really, this image is, uh, would have the image that we're given here of, of, a, of the baby that's just thrown out into the open field would have led to disorganized attachment, which uh, would result in a child being um, an, an growing up to, as an adult who would have a chaotic, insensitive uh, demeanor, perhaps prone to outbursts, untrusting while craving security. So anyway, a lot of us, we can maybe, maybe you've already done the work to determine what kind of attachment style you had from your parents. And this isn't about blaming. It's just about, you know, kind of recognizing. And there's, there's ways that there's therapies available to help us. Um, but at any rate, um, a lot of the people that we work with are people that have clearly suffered neglect, um, you know, deficits of nurture and probably all of us have in some ways. Right. And, um, and so here God is, is really naming this and really stating that, that God's people, um, when God uh, first encountered them, 
this is this is how they were. They were um, here in this in this text. It talks about um, the navel cord or the umbilical cord not being cut. So imagine a child that's still attached to the placenta. So it's that would represent maybe someone who um, is actually separated from the mother, but not separated, because maybe there was never really a connection. And in order to have um, a secure attachment, you have to have had an attachment. And some people have never really had a close connected bond with their mother. Maybe they were separated at birth, you know, through a traumatic event, or th or maybe they were taken by the state because the, the mother was under the influence of heroin or some other drug or, or you know, there was maybe the death of the mother or, or the a trauma in childbirth, whatever it might be. Being separated, um, I guess in a lot of ways, we all need to have that healing, a healing of that connection that was just, that might've been disrupted. So here in this case, um, you know, we see somebody who, who clearly needs healing and, um, and is described as, as just being completely neglected. Um, then it goes on in verse six, when I passed by you and saw you squirming in your blood, I said to you while you were in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you while you were in your blood, live. So here we have God describing God's self as personally passing by um, you, that is the people of God, and in that de severely deprived state, uh, neglected state, God is, is, describes God's self as passing by and seeing um, them squirming in their blood. And this image of squirming in your blood could be translated as kicking at yourself in your blood, kicking at yourself in your blood. So almost like self-harming or just in a state of complete desperation. Um, so here, this term, I passed by you, evokes several texts. Like one would be um, the story of Moses when he was um, forcibly abandoned by his mother in order to save him, he was put in a little ark and, and placed in the Nile River. And, and Moses' mother sent his sister to watch out to see what would happen. And baby Moses uh, came down the river and Pharaoh's daughter um, passed by, was walking along the Nile and saw, and um, saw the baby and sent her, one of her servants to go and fetch the baby. And when she saw the baby, she saw that it was an Israelite and she had compassion and then she adopted. But here, um, this text is describing, um, you know, Israel as no, I looked upon with pity, with compassion on you to do these things for you. So this is someone um, worse off than baby Moses was. Um, this, these verbs passed by and saw also remind us of this, the Good Samaritan story where we have, um, you know, a, a man who's, who falls among thieves on the way from Jericho to Jerusalem. And, and it says that the Levite passed, saw him and passed by. And, um, and then the Pharisee, you know, passed by and saw him. And, um, and so we see that neglect, right? But then the Samaritan, he passed by, but then he, he took the man and he, and he cared for him, right? And brought him up and paid for his, him to be taken care of. And so here, um, you know, this uh, Israel is described as like an abandoned child that didn't even benefit from that, at least yet. 
And so, um, but what God does say, and Daniel Bourget points this out brilliantly, that, um, you know, just this imperative, live, and the repetition of, the, of that imperative, you know, live, where God says, I said to you while you're in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you while you're in your blood, live. That that doubling of that imperative is represents a, a, an extreme tenderness, you know, where God actually comes in person and us uh, and sees and then speaks life into this child. And I I just find that to be so beautiful. And you know, a lot of what we've been doing on Friday nights um, at Tierra Nueva, we've been going out usually from five to, to six or seven and. We've been walking the streets in the part of our city where there's a lot of addicts and, you know, and we've been just approaching people and a lot of them we've now gotten to know by name and a lot of them know us just from years of ministry in the jail. And, you know, and so we're, we're really seeing that it is so, so important for us to be able to, um, to really bring a tender presence and to, you know, really come alongside people and walk, not walk by them, which is so alienating for people who are um, unhoused and who are vulnerable just to be ignored, but to just to acknowledge them, to see them, and then also to speak life, you know, because so many of them are hopeless and they don't see their value. And so many are marked by self-hatred and they've felt abhorred and they've, they abhor themselves. And so to be able to approach people and um, and to kind of bring that life-giving word, you know, it's, it reminds me of like the, the word that Jesus, when he speaks to Lazarus, you know, come, come forth Lazarus when he's in the tomb, you know, I think we have a role like that. And, um, so I, I just, um, uh, that's something that just really, really moved me. And so let's look a little bit closer now at the next verses. So God says, um, so yes, I said to you when you were in your blood, live. And um, here we have something I just want to say about um, about that, you know, from Daniel Bourget's book. You know, just looking at it, just a quote here. So, so he says, um, this is about the mediation of the prophet. We can place ourselves in the 16th chapter in Ezekiel in two ways and interpret it accordingly, either by putting ourselves in the place of a little girl or the person to whom God first addresses himself, that is to say, the prophet Ezekiel. In fact, the text begins in this way. The word of the Lord was addressed to me in these words. The one who expresses himself in this way is Ezekiel, who is charged with the transmission of the oracle to Jerusalem. It is he who God calls upon first, and curiously, the vocative by which he calls him is not his own proper name, Ezekiel but less specifically, son of man, which may also decidedly include us, being as we are, children of men and women. Understood and received in this sense, the text makes us into messengers. We receive, therefore, the mission from God to pass on to others his message of tenderness. And what would our calling be as Christians other than to proclaim this good news? Son of man, make known to Jerusalem these words you shall say to them, it is this that God requires of us, to go and to tell all the little Jerusalems that we encounter and who endure similar sufferings, to tell them what the heart of God is towards them, his marvelous tenderness. 
So it is that God charges his people with transmitting his message of tenderness. He charges them with an extraordinary mission, to speak of what is to be found in the heart of God, of his mystery, of his infinite love, of what would otherwise be incomprehensible. It goes so far beyond us and is so distant from all that we are, so removed from our inadequate human love, our second-rate human tenderness. How poor we are. There's a chasm between the heart of God and our human heart. How should we speak? What can we say? I just found that to be so, so beautiful. And um, so if we look um, just a little further on page 54 of Daniel Bourget's um, book, he says, um, you see, reader friend, how effectively we are involved in the text. It makes us into God's messengers, messengers specifically authorized to pass on words that concern to the utmost degree our brothers and sisters. Whoever receives the oracle in this way and feels bound to assume this mission as a messenger cannot but feel and take account of his own inadequacy, his nakedness, his love, nothingness, and worthiness faith, faced with such a task. For this reason, we must take time to turn to God, stretching out his hands and saying, My Lord and my God, have mercy, have pity on me. You see the extent to which I am incapable and unworthy of such a mission. If in your grace you have found it good to send me with my humanity, then I beg you in your grace and by your Holy Spirit, be sure to impart to my love the warmth of yours, to my words the wisdom of yours, to my look the gentleness of yours, to my tenderness the delicacy and strength of yours. Be sure to mold me in the depths of my heart, my soul, my belly, so that I don't betray, pervert, or obscure anything that comes from you. I just find that to be extremely beautiful. And um, so anyway, let's look um, a little closer at another aspect of this text. So um, so anyway, it says um, in verse 6, When I passed by you and saw you squirming in your blood, I said to you while you were in your blood, Live, yes, I said to you while you're in your blood, live. I made you numerous like plants of the field. Then you grew up and became tall and reached the age of fine ornaments. Your breasts were formed and your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. Then I passed by you and saw you, and behold, you were at the time for love. So I spread my skirt over you and covered your nakedness. I also swore to you and entered into a covenant with you, so that you became so that you became mine, declares the Lord God. Then I bathed you with water, washed off your blood from you, and anointed you with oil. I also clothed you with embroidered cloth and put sandals of porpoise skin on your feet, and I wrapped you with fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments, put bracelets on your hands and a necklace around your neck. I also put a ring in your nostril, earrings in your ears, and beautiful crown, beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver, and your dress was of fine linen, silk, and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour, honey, and oil, so that you were exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. Then your fame went forth among the nations on account of your beauty, for it was perfect because of my splendor, which I bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. So that shows, um, you know, really God's full embrace and adoption of human beings 
and um, you know, not only are we seen, um, but we are covered, we are we are clothed, we are adorned with splendor, and it's like that adoption that is offered to us, you know, by complete grace, is kind of completes the picture here for, you know, for little Jerusalem. So um, another thing that I think we need to look at here is, is just this term, um, you know, how your father was a Hittite and your mother was an, an Amorite, or father was an Amorite and your mother was a Hittite. Now, interestingly, these are, these are pagan nations, and we can see that, that from Genesis 10, 15 to 16, they're descendants of Canaan. And um, maybe you remember that Noah, when he came out of the ark, he got drunk, and then he cursed his son Ham, who um, who came in and saw his nakedness. And um, it's this strange text where God curses the descendants of Ham, which were the Canaanites. And so that um, curse would have passed on to the Hittite, to the Amorites and the Hittites. And yet here God's um, coming is um, something that undoes that. Like one of the things we see the Amorites. Um, Daniel Bourget points out how the name comes from the Hebrew word Amar, which is to speak. And here, um, God, um, the Father, is is the one who was supposed to speak. But here in this case, um, at birth, the Father didn't do his function um, of, of really speaking life and naming the child. You know, the Father's role is supposed to be to speak and, and to name the child, um, to give the child a name right at its birth. And in this case, the father didn't do that. And he's supposed to pronounce a blessing on the child, which he didn't do either. And um, so here, the only one who utters a word addressed to the child is God. And interestingly, it uses the same term um, in Hebrew. I saw you and I said, Amar, um, to you. And so, so, and then God says something that sounds like a true blessing when he says live. Another interesting thing is that that term live in Hebrew is a, is a really kind of powerful guttural word that literally it's like chai, chai, you know. Um, so it's this word, um, you know, live, you know, uh, and we don't know what sort of tone, um, whether it was like almost like a, just a, a like almost like one with tears, um, but I, I imagine it being so gentle and and completely empowering. And so God the Father actually comes in, and and then we see that that fatherly role actually also um, includes a motherly role, a maternal role. So God is a, a motherly father. Interestingly, um, the name Hittite comes from a Hebrew word whose root is hatat, which means to terrorize. So, um, so the father was clearly absent in this story, but the mother is even more, you know, frightening. You know, um, the revulsion within this mother towards her daughter would have been something completely terrorizing um, that would have definitely harmed um, this child. And so here, um, Daniel Bourget writes, to this little one, branded by the revulsion of the woman, who brought her into the world, God steps forward with his motherly feelings, his womb-like tenderness, and fills the role of a true mother, saying what every mother is bound to say to her child, live. 
And we have the scripture of Psalm 2710. My, my mother and my father may forsake me, but the Lord will take me up. And that psalm um, seems to really sum up the situation here, doesn't it? And so, um, so here God's love and tenderness is greater than the revulsion. And I think we're invited to, to step into that, that love that is greater and um and to pass on that love to receive it for ourselves but first and but then to be able to pass on that love that can overcome the revulsion and that's something that i feel totally inspired about right now as we think about our ministry on the streets and um and i wonder how this affects you like how how do you envision yourself you know being able to i guess receive the tenderness of god and then to be able to carry that tenderness um and and to draw near so we see that instead of walking away in disgust, God draws near in that tenderness. And and I just love it. It's like, um, I quote from Daniel Bourguin, page 59. Once more, this extraordinary tenderness of God has nothing weak about it. The tenderness is stronger than human cursing, stronger than ancestral and even patriarchal cursing. It is stronger, stronger than social and even racial prejudices, stronger than any human revulsion. Such, again, is the paradox of tenderness, so strong in its gentleness. I find this text altogether amazing, writes Daniel Bourguet. It moves me profoundly to think that this marvelous tenderness of God concerns all of us, everyone. It grabs me each time I hear someone speak of their life in terms that perhaps strongly resemble those described here. And he goes on, you know that this text concerns every child who is not loved every abandoned child, every child deprived of tenderness, all those uncared for and for, and who have been a source of disgust to those around them, all the little pagans, cursed or unclean, who've been cast out into the fields perhaps, but also under bridges and on pavements, where there are other savage beasts who watch for them as if for prey. These children are innumerable, and they later become adults who continue to carry around inside themselves the child they were, and still suffer from the rejection of which they were the object, a rejection so profound that it often turns to self-rejection. You know, that, I think, is so, so true. Um, Daniel Bourguet continues, Reader friend, I often encounter people like this, and you are sure to as well. To everyone, really everyone, each time the opportunity arises, I try as best I may try to tell what it is in this text, the unbelievable and wonderful tenderness of God, of which no one is worthy, but which nevertheless fills the heart of God to the point of enveloping everyone equally and causing us to live. I cannot believe there is any situation more painful, more desperate, more abhorrent than that described here. And though there, are, there may never have been a person in greater suffering than little Jerusalem, should such a person come to see you, then, reader friend, son of man that you are, I believe that you can say to them, you who have known nothing but rejection and contempt, who've never known tenderness, you who believe yourself unclean and unworthy of God, who think that death alone can offer you a welcome, know that the rejection that sickens you is not in the heart of God towards you. Know that the tenderness that you know nothing of is in the heart of God and it is for you. Know that his look of tenderness is fixed on you and that you are wrapped up in it to make you live. Know that there is nothing more beautiful for you than this tenderness, which rests upon all your sufferings as a balm. 
To you also, God says, with all the gentleness and all the strength of his tenderness, which he addresses to you as a prayer. Live, I plead with you. Live, my child. So let's pray. God, we just thank you for your word. Thank you that you are a God who speaks life into our, uh, our, our painful, wounded souls. And just give us, uh, through your Holy Spirit, the, the strength and the inspiration and the capacity to be able to receive this and offer it to others that we see around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.